and welcome back to another episode of Over the Glass. I am your host, Jay. I am co-host, Drew. And we have some interesting topics to talk about today. Let's start out with the chicken nugget incident. (laughs) What a weird... It's been a weird week in hockey, right? It's been kind of a weird week. This one is... um, This one's super funny to me. So it... It happened uh, during an ECHL league game. Um, every year, for those of you, for people that don't know too much about the ECHL, um, I don't know if every team does it. I at this point would guess every team does it. They do a a morning game. Typically, it's about ten thirty in the morning, puck drop, um, where like local schools come in, and these arenas just get packed full of school children for a morning hockey game. It's a really cool thing. It's a huge hit here in Jacksonville. Um, so during the Toledo Walleye and Kalamazoo Wings game, um, there was there was this it happened I believe like towards the end of the game. There was uh, this random piece of debris that makes its way onto the ice, and uh, you know they drop the puck, and then of course plays called dead, you know, because they're like, "What is this?" Well, uh, one of their defensemen, if the uh, I don't want to butcher this guy's last name. Tuya Yavin. That guy. He uh, he decided he was going to launch this piece of debris back over to the over the ice, <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, he was firing a chicken nugget over the ice at the crowd of school children. Um, so the Toledo Walleye have done. They've embraced this pretty pretty cleverly. Um, it's been deemed Nugget Gate. At first, nobody could tell what was being launched back over the ice. We weren't sure. Then it came out that, and the team confirmed to us at Inside the Rink that it was, in fact, a chicken nugget that was sent over the glass. So there was a bunch of, like, speculation to start this. What was it? Was it a nugget? Was it not a nugget? What's happening? Um, yeah, so, you know, three pieces short of a Wendy's four-piece gets tossed over the side of the boards, and um, it actually resulted in a... 10-minute misconduct penalty for, I'm just going to call him Krill, his first name, um, violating Rule 39.4, which is the rule that defines actions that can be... Oh, duh, that's what I just said. Uh, (laughs) So, that's it. That's the only thing that the league gave out. Rule 39.4 is what he violated by launching this chicken nugget over the glass. He gets a 10-minute misconduct, and we have Nugget Gate in the ECHL this week. <laughs> uh, the walleye have done a good job with this though, because like they had their teddy bear toss this past weekend and fans were scrambling to find stuffed chicken nuggets to throw <laughs> as part of the teddy bear toss. They put out t-shirts. Um, I seen this thing this morning that the team posted on Twitter that like, apparently they were having kids shoot chicken nuggets at the net during like an intermission contest. So uh, they've embraced it. They've embraced the weird hockey news pretty readily this week, but uh, you know, not too often. I seen a tweet that it was like, it it was, you know, hockey player suspended for launching chicken nugget over the ice. And I think it was Jeff Patterson that retweeted it. He was like, just a normal hockey headline, like just something you see every day. (laughs) I love it. And they should embrace it because we need to have a little fun out here. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, what a unique, what a unique story. Why, why, why not? Why not lean into Nugget Gate? Someone needs to get on creating chicken nugget plushies. Yes, we, I'm sure we need to make there. this a thing. Yeah. This is a yeah. job opportunity, a small business opportunity. <laughs> Someone who listens to this podcast. We're we're handing it out to you on a silver platter. Go out and and make your 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 semi famous small business. If if you're within the Toledo Walleye organization and you just happen to listen to this episode, if not any others, I would I would give you for several crisp five dollar bills the idea of a chicken nugget and a walleye jersey that you can sell to your fans. <laughs> I will 
I, I don't know too much about the walleye, but I will say that I think if they embrace Nugget Gate, it's a good thing because I watched a YouTube video that was like showing all the ECHL arenas recently. And um, I think Nugget Gate is much more embrace worthy than their official slogan, which is our fish, our fans. It's like, nice. sounds, yeah, it sounds like Arby's a little bit. <laughs> In, I guess, less fun news and more perplexing news we learned this morning that um the kraken who have done a a wonderful job with all of their specialty jerseys they're one of the few teams that i've noticed um just through social media they've been finding other ways to showcase the specialty jerseys now that they can't be worn on the ice and it looks like the Players are really embracing that and, and you know, all that good stuff. But as we learned last week with Flurry and the issue with him creating a, a mask that was specifically designed for in, the Indigenous uh, People's Night for the wild and it was done by indigenous artists and that caused this issue with the nhl who had previously told him yeah fine if you wear it on warm-ups and then leading up to that they retracted even further and said he can't wear it at all he ended up wearing it during warm-ups he wasn't going to play in the game anyway but it caused a lot of like confusion of this back and forth and now We've come on to Philip Grubauer, who did a similar thing. He had reached out to the league months in advance, said, hey, I'm going to do this thing, just making sure it's okay. And apparently he got a different response, which is the more perplexing thing than if the league would have just realized after the fact with Flurry and then decided we weren't going to do anything about this. So I don't know what kind of thoughts are going through your head as we've tried to figure out what the, what the issue is. Well, I, first of all, it's a beautiful mask. Um, I, the revolving door of the NHL's standards of conduct. I don't know what, the no fun, the no fun league. I mean, people used to say that was what the NFL stood for, but the the NHL and their fun police, uh, their their no fun having decisions. I'm just confused. Like when we were when we were talking about this earlier, the uh, the one thing that we we're talking about is is the roundabout. Of course, like you know, flurry went back and forth with. Um, the league and then the team went back and forth with like the league, I guess, when it came to Flowers situation. But it according to the league with Grubauer's mask, it's you know, they said that they reached out to the league on his behalf and the league said that he that he would be fine Grubauer would be fine if the mask was designed for multiple game use and not just the one evening. So if we can just we can just sort of backtrack through this, okay? So, like, it starts with, like, a few theme nights. All the theme nights are fine. A handful of players sit out. One theme night, and then the league's like, can't do that no more. Not even the jerseys. Not even the tape. But by doing that, they say, we're doing it this way because we want players to support causes that are important to them as individuals. But also... That means that you can't wear these specialty jerseys and you can't put special tape and you can't have special insignia or anything special of the kind. So you can support it, but you support it in your heart and your mind only. Also, if you go against that, we'll punish you, but not really as long as you support this individual cause for multiple nights, just not the one night that's dedicated to the individual cause that you're trying to actively support in this moment. Did I... Did That's... That's that's what's happened up until this point, right? Like I re, I what? So that's how I feel about it. <laughs> make it make it sense. is just so confusing. And one of the things that you had mentioned earlier, and we were trying to dissect, is 
So if Flurry had worded it to not be for this specific night, then it would have been okay versus Grubauer is saying, hey, or this is what I'm assuming went on was it was not created just for this night. It's going to, you know, it has aspects of this night, but it is meant for multiple nights. Oh, I see, because it's meant for multiple nights, you get the green light. But because Flurry's wording is it's meant for this night. No, whoa, wait, hang on. You're, it needs, this needs to be for everybody. This important cause that you want to celebrate individually on this night that we're celebrating this individual cause, that's too much. That's too much of a statement. Can't do that here. But if you want to play in that mask for a whole week, then knock yourself out, kid. We don't mind. Have have the time of your life. I don't understand. If, if I'm not mistaken, Philip Gustafson, the one of the goalies, I don't even know if he's back up. I think like him and Flurry or split, split in time in many, but... Uh, Gustafson, one of the goalies for the Wild, um, there was a report out because he had a Hockey Fights cancer mask. And so if I'm not mistaken, it was like a similar thing. Like the league was like, the league didn't really say anything to him because he used the mask as like his mask for the season, not just for that one night. But again, like what an arbitrary way to enforce that rule. Like you're going to do an indigenous mask and you're going to wear it on Indigenous Night because it makes sense logically. But the league is like, that's too much. Unless you plan to have Indigenous art on your mask for at least two to three games, you're supporting, you're, you're bringing too much attention to the individual cause. I don't... I... <laughs> it gives, figuring out the NHL and their policies give me a migraine. Like just oh my god! So we have no idea what's going on. We just thought it was a little interesting that Philip Grubauer got to wear his, and he was he asked the league. I want to say around the same time because they did say he asked in advance. So advance, assuming roughly the the same time frame as as Flurry would, got a different response. Looks like it's related to the intent of usage even though the context of it is still the same flurry could easily wear it all season if if that's what he wanted to do it's a gorgeous mask but so we're just a little confused and we don't have answers and we don't expect the nhl to give us answers because the nhl doesn't even realize what they're doing they're just riding at the seat of their pants figuring out as they go because this entire van is stupid I don't even think they have it. I don't think they have an answer because they don't know the question. Like, what problem were you trying to solve in the first place? Because seven, I mean, like, if it really comes down to the, oh, my God, they're protesting the pride jersey. That wasn't a majority of the league. And if so, again, if you're saying, well, we want them to support causes that are important to them as individuals, you don't get to do that by taking away their option to support it entirely. I... I wish it made sense. I really wish it made sense to all of our fine listeners out there. If you can make sense of this logic, I could give you a crisp $5 bill. <laughs> Somebody make it make sense, please, because it doesn't. And it is about as ass backwards of, of logic that I can, I can try to even think about trying to understand. And... <laughs> Unfortunately, the next thing we're going to talk about, um, there seems to be answers whether or not these are being put into place is the more questionable part of the response. And also applause and self-promotion. Go ahead, Drew. <laughs> I I wanted to throw this in. I, we don't have to spend too much time on it. I don't like to be too egotistical, but I am very, very proud of this piece. It was the first piece that I put out with um, the Professional Hockey Writers Association and Two Hockey with Love Mentorship Program. Um, my mentor, Salem, he's the like head chief of, of TSN's Calgary Bureau. And um, him and I have just, he's everything that he's instructed. I've absorbed like a sponge and I've been just even stuff outside of reporting. So, um, 
this was really cool to work with him and just kind of see how my writing evolved through um, a topic that I had already been told to stay away from previously with other outlets, which was the Adam Johnson and the neck protection situation. Um, but like for me, you know, I love hockey and I obviously we talked about it a little bit last week, player safety. And um, I think that this was something, this is a conversation that needs to stay out there and it's, it needs to stay within the circles of, of do we mandate it? Do we don't mandate it? You know, do, do we enforce it or how do we implement it? Um, so I got the chance to talk to Mary Kay Mezier, which was the vice president of global marketing at Bauer Hockey. Um, I talked to her and we had a great discussion on just some of the things that are happening um, as far as making sure there's supply and demand, mandates coming down, um, did some heavy digging into finding out like the ECHL's policies and of course the AHL, what some other teams are deciding to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, just a really, I think a really important discussion to be had. You, you have already kind of sent me feedback that somebody had sent you about, you know, just how neck protection was staying in the conversation and players are considering wearing it more. Um, I think when it comes down to mandates, the same thing Mary Kay said is that we're, players now want more and, and elite athletes are more voluntarily adopting it, right? So the more that those people lead from the front and lead by example, the more others will step up. Um, and I think one of the things too is, you know, maybe these players aren't really thinking about like, hey, do I, is, you know, like what a skate blade cut, especially to the neck, really entails until they're in a scrum or, you know, they get hit and the leg comes up. Like maybe they sort of face that mortality a bit more in those situations. Um, but players are, are adopting it more. There's a demand amongst elite players for neck protection. Teams can't fulfill the orders. Leagues can't fulfill the orders. Consumers are buying them out. It's a 40% increase in demand just like overnight that manufacturers weren't prepared for. Um, so, yeah, a little bit, like you said, a little bit of, of, of self-promotion there. But, um, listen, if you, like, you know, Jay, I know you play hockey and, and you've got hockey friends that have reached out. Um, so people out there that, that do play ice hockey, I'm in Florida, so that's kind of out of the question a little bit. Um, like, for real, think about it. There's plenty of protection out there. There's different materials. There's... Um, different styles of neck guards, different materials are more effective at preventing cuts, which there was a study done by the National Library of Medicine back in 2015 that states that, you know, Kevlar and spectrofibers are cut resistant. They are better at protecting players. So um, just do the research out there and really think about, like, you, as much as you love the sport, is that one accident really worth it when it could have been prevented? Um so yeah, JJ, how do you feel about neck guards and neck protection? Um, you know, it's like I've been seeing some of the conversations just in passing as we have these conversations amongst ourselves and notice it on socials. And some people's responses are kind of perplexing to me because the 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 feeling of it being so rare and yet the outcome of someone getting cut in the neck is very fatal so i don't see how anybody is okay with taking the chance of it being like oh it's only i'll throw some random number out there like it's only happens in like one percent of the population but as we as this sport gets faster more competitive more the, the skill set is higher like things can happen so quickly in a fraction of a second that i just i just don't understand how somebody is like where your mindset is where you're like well i don't want to wear it because it's uncomfortable like you know what could be extra uncomfortable right <laughs> right <laughs> like, i don't know and like when i've and and this has been a topic that's been coming up continuously ever since that that incident happened where um 
the league, and when I say the league, uh, more times than not, we're talking about the NHL. Um, they are not mandating uh, neck guards. I'm not really going to go into like why that can or cannot happen because as we've talked about previously, the NHL kind of makes no sense anyway. So I'm kind of like, I don't really feel like looking up the policies involved would help anyway because there's so many inconsistencies with what they deem is necessary and is optional. Um, But we've noticed that like, I I believe some junior leagues have been doing that. I know that we've been starting to see a lot of, um, you know, like amateur leagues and things like that. And I think that'll be great in the long run, get it to be a normal thing, just another part of the equipment that's necessary. Like I know in my co-ed beer league, like the, the tiers that are, I want to say like the, the middle to bottom half of them, like we have like nine tiers, I think, or seven, I don't remember anymore. Um, the middle to bottom tiers were mandated to wear a full cage, full cage or full shield, all that stuff. And then I think beyond that, it's kind of like optional, which I think is like, okay, but you guys like, you have a nine to five. So I don't know why you would risk that. Like it's, you know, just because you're more skilled doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I know that the, the possibility that it happens more for like people who are novice just by like accidentally falling on the ice on their own accord, that that possibility gets higher. But, you know, we see in these professional leagues that they get hit in the face all the time with, with a puck, they get a stick up in their face. They, you know, uh, who was it? Um, why does his name escape me? He was on the Sharks forever ago. Um, but he got hit some time ago with a puck or stick and then his, like, eyes, like, permanently dilated. Yeah. It Just in a split second, your, your eyesight is messed up for the rest of your life. Um, but going back to the point I'm trying to make is that the – so the NHL is not doing anything at this time and it's allowing the players – to figure it out on on their own whether or not they want to but the NHL also requires their players to wear a half shield and as far as I am aware of they're not allowed the option of a full cage of a full shield and they only do that when they end up in an accident where they like messed up their jaw they've gotten a bunch of stitches their their teeth are knocked out or whatever so now we're requiring this so you don't further injure yourself yeah but then once your your face is all pretty again well you have to you have to take that away is my understanding by not looking at the policy it looks like once you enter the nhl this is like you've got to ditch your cage you got to ditch your your full shield, like players that come in directly from like the college route to go into the NHL. It's like, you've played three to four years in college. Well, congratulations. You've gotten promoted to potentially having like long-term <laughs> like dental needs. I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense to me that they, they wouldn't enforce something like this. And, you know, but at the same time, like, Things like what we talked about previously with Department of Player Safety. It's it's also a player's, you know, responsibility to like, if it not for yourself, then for your family to set example for the the all the kids and all the up and comings to just, you know, make an example that like safety is important. Yeah, yeah. And and I I think there's a, a separate conversation to be had over how the league can ban things like pride tape, but not in, enforce and mandate something like a neck guard. But that's a different conversation, I think, and goes down a different rabbit hole. But I'm just going to draw some attention to that, that we can ban the colored tape, the fancy colored tape that's just raw. It's just hurting everybody, but we can't mandate a neck guard. 
And like you said, we have examples, the same thing that Mary Kay Meze told me about, where we have examples with, with visors and helmets, these things that weren't otherwise required that even now that they, they've grandfathered in, I don't think that there's too many players that, that don't wear a visor anymore in the league. Like, it's very few. I think it's just like a handful of players. because Well, now they, they've required the visor. Right, right. And yeah. there were players, uh, I believe it was Jamie Benn, that was one that was grandfathered in. With yeah, anybody clause. who was born after, I think, 1979 or something like that. Yeah. Which... And- Maybe is not so accurate anymore, given that Jamie Ben. I obviously just threw a number out there, but it's something like that. It's like after a certain year, it's like you have to, and everyone else is grandfathered in. Yeah, and so there's there's precedent, right? There's precedent to make this change, but also I think we're, and this is one of the things that I've really tried to to touch on in the article is that. Skate blade cuts are so com- like it's not as uncommon as people think. Not everybody is getting is taking these lethal cuts to the neck. Thank God. But just a night, if not a night or two before the Adam Johnson incident happened, there was I believe he plays for the Bruins, a defenseman Jacob Locko, who took a skate and almost lost his left eye, his right eye. He had a visor on. But the dude had stitches, like, from A to Z across his eye. It missed his eye by centimeters. By centimeters. Like, Jordan Eberle, of the, I think it was like a week or so after the Adam Johnson incident, gets cut at practice. We had the Evander Kane incident, right, where he gets cut. So there are, it's not as, as uncommon as people think. It's common, to, it's common enough to the point where manufacturers like Bauer and CCM are out there producing base layers of, of Kevlar and Spectra fibers. There's, I believe it's War Road, TJ Oshie's brand, but they're using like some sort of like stainless steel thread and base layers to make them cut resistant. So the fact that we can give players these tools, knowing that this is a risk of the sport, but it's too much of, because the issue is they have to go through the union and then union has to decide, okay, yeah, you can mandate this piece of equipment, but it's, it's crazy to me that we have such this warped perception of like skate blade cuts don't happen and aren't that severe. When truthfully, if you were to look at the statistics, I think if really if the hockey world were to look at the statistics of it, we should all feel very, very blessed as hockey fans. This kind of stuff doesn't happen more. That these guys aren't taking skates up high to the eyeballs and losing eyes every game. That they're not having digits and ears cut off every game or losing... God forbid, you know, a part of their face or having their arm cut open where they're, you know, there's a major loss of blood. These kind of, because those kinds of things are risk, right? It's not just the neck. And we know that enough to give players proper protection now when it comes to base layers. So I, I just don't, where I really get frustrated is where people are like, well, if you mandate neck guards, the sport's getting soft. It means the sport's getting weak. No, it just means that final, I mean, it took, it took hockey players forever to get used to wearing a helmet. Like, think of that. Like, it's not like these pucks were ever any less colder than they have been. You know what I mean? They're still frozen pieces of vulcanized rubber. We're coming at those dudes at the same speed. Maybe the stick technology wasn't as on par or whatever. But there's still inherent risk there. And it took them forever to give to give players, to mandate helmets on players. So I, I think there's this warped perception of, of skate blade incidents. And we're making the sport softer because we're mandating these things. No, I think if anything, we're just, we should be more aware. We should more, be more conscious of it. There's a bunch of people that are coming into the sport. There's a lot of good programs to make hockey more accessible, to keep growing the game. There's different people coming into the game that may not have otherwise found the sport. And I think we need to normalize this and get ahead of the curve before we see an Adam Johnson in the NHL level or, God forbid, at the, the NCAA level. Any, I mean, one incident, and this is where you know me and Mary Kay Messier, we, we talked about it. One incident like this was already too much. It shouldn't have taken something so extreme for the sport to get here. But we can't let the push for this kind of protection die out the same way it did after other incidents that were similar. There, there needs to be a conscious change. And I think, like TJ Oshi said it best, right? He's like, I want to be around for my kids. And so we talked about it in last week's pod. These guys are human. They have families, they have lives outside of hockey. And yeah, 
it might be uncomfortable to wear it for you know three rounds of 20 minutes give or take penalties and all of that but um it's gonna be a lot more uncomfortable for your family to not come home to you if something were if if another one of these freak accidents were to occur so well said thank you so in fun news yes you want to let us know your thoughts on what's coming in january 2024 for the canucks at this point i'm like i'm like three weeks away from them posting like we we played uh the devils in our skate jerseys and that was an unscheduled skate jersey night it kind of all surprised us like oh um, so I think collectively as Canucks fans, we're all like, just say the skate is the primary logo. Let's just go back to it. We're tired of being teased. Um, but these helmets are highly speculated to be chrome blue helmets. Um, listen, I'm not a fan of the chrome domes. I'm not. I'm not. I think the Los Angeles Kings look like little astronauts out there, especially in the white jerseys when they're rocking the chrome dome. I don't like Vegas is right. They're the other team that uses is like the gold I'd, with their honey mustard jerseys. I'm not into it. I'm really not into the Chrome Dome thing. Um, but I really like the color blue. <laughs> um, and I really like the Canucks color scheme. So I'm willing to give it an open mind if that's what's happening. Um, but either way, my, my jury is out. My jury is out on blue Chrome. I think it's interesting um, I don't know. How would you feel if the Sharks came out with a teal chrome helmet? I think that would look good with your black jersey, though. So, as similar to you, I'm I'm not a fan of the the chrome for for the Kings and for Vegas. I just think they're too shiny. But I do want to see chaos and have them both wear it for for a game yes. against each other. And just knock into each other because they can't see. Um, <laughs> that would be my Stanley Cup. Just watching those teams <laughs> knock into each other. Um, it. I think it, I don't know. I, I think it depends on the color because for the Kings, it's it's silver and it's just, it's so bright. And then for Vegas, it's gold. It's so bright. I do like you guys' matted uh helmets i think those are nice but those i guess i would have to see what what tint of blue they use yeah yeah because i if, if, i mean like if i think if you use like a certain shade at some point it becomes like you look like a christmas ornament like out there on the ice yeah you know like little shiny little christmas tree decorations i i don't I'm, I I don't want to say because like like you said like we've got gold and we got silver which are colors that are like stereotypically shiny bright fancy things, um, and that's part of the reason why I don't like them is because they are they're just so reflective like I just I just think everybody should be out there with like tinted visors so that they can see each other and not run into each other. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm approaching it with an open mind mm-hmm. as I do most things with Vancouver Canucks. Otherwise, it's just misery sometimes. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I think it, I think it could look really good. I would love to see them like do Chrome Dome with like one of like the reverse retro sort of like gradient style again, like switch it up. Let's, let's, let's make it, let's give us some pizzazz. We're going to go Chrome Dome, but maybe, maybe the blue will be good. Maybe it'll be a different, that's why I like, as soon as I asked you, I was like, I don't know, like teal Chrome with like the sharks black, that could look good. If they ever consider that i would definitely be in a wait and see mode because i love the teal buckets right now i don't know if i would love them if they were chrome it's just a lot just seems like like it would be hard to it'd be like i feel like it would maybe look like hunter green you know (laughs) i like being able to watch games with ease (laughs) I can imagine after say, I mean, he's just out there and like everybody's got like the big, like big spotlights like after a goal and there's like spotlights bouncing off of your opposing your opponent's head. And you're just getting blinded by like reflections because 
some team had to be so ostentatious that they were like, we're going to wear shiny silver and gold buckets. Like we already have to deal with the horrendous digital ads. Let's not add more distraction <laughs> to, you know, a game that you're already needing to focus so hard to follow a tiny dot on, on the screen. So. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> less, Do you want us shiny. to watch the game or are you trying to distract <laughs> us from the game? Like, I think, you know what? Maybe you wear it when uh, when when the team's doing really bad, you know, just do a helmet change, distract the, <laughs> the audience from like the chaos of horrendous loss happening on the ice. I don't know. It could be used for a benefit. See, I mean, like I, a, a kind of guys like Tyler Myers and Nikita Zadorov, because they're so tall, when the light reflects off of the blue, it might just look like, like an old school blue light special at Kmart. You know what I'm saying? So people might stop. <laughs> because they think that they're missing out on some good sales. So who knows? It could be like a psychological warfare type of thing. Could be. I just know whenever whenever the Kings and the and the Knights come out in those those shiny, I feel like I've like walked into like a K jewelers. Like I don't like that. <laughs> no thank you. All right. So I wanna get your thoughts on because I don't actually know that much about Ethan Bear outside of he's indigenous. Apparently things weren't so great when he was in Edmonton. He made his way down to the Canes. Not really sure what happened there, but he ended up over with the Canucks for, what, half a season? And mm-hmm. in the course of trying to gather this information i wanted to ask you for clarity on because it said that he was not given uh, a qualifying offer but there was a mention of an injury was that before or after the time frame of him needing that offer to be made by the canucks he got hurt before his contract period like before it was it came if i'm not mistaken it was like during a like a world championship like an IIHF tournament and then he like re-aggravated his shoulder um and then that injury occurred like within his contract year and so i don't necessarily i think the injury had a little bit to do with it in the scope of things for us not signing him off the jump because the canucks have had zero cap space to play with like i think until just the recent like move when Zadorov came in, we were we were close to with LTIR like actually being like five million over. Like the only reason why is because Susie was on IR. Um, I think that a little bit like the injury had a little bit with us not signing him from the jump. It was just that we were hard pressed for cap space and we needed we needed healthy defensemen. Um, I like I I love Ethan Bear when he was in Carolina when he was with the Canes. I thought he was a great like close the gap, make the play, um, shut down, you know, shut down the ozone and get, get stuff moving. Um, I really thought he was a really great, like, defensive defenseman. Um, I know the Canucks still aren't out of the ball game when it comes to bringing him back. I'm still not opposed to us. I love Ethan Bear, so I'm not opposed to him being on our roster. Um, not that we, I think, really need him as much as some other teams out there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the Caps, are, caps do here, because I know um, Kuzmenko is also also his name's been receiving phone calls from around the league too for for the Canucks. So it might be that Kuzi moves and 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 Bear still ends up in Washington. But either way, it'll be good to see him healthy and back on some of his roster. How do you feel about Kuzmenko being talked about trade? Are you into it? Do you want him to stick around? Do you <sighs> I, want him to go to the Capitals? <laughs> <laughs> I hey, listen. If he goes to the Caps, I would like to have a good. I'd like to have a good, a good return for Kuzi. Um, yeah, there's rumor. There's been speculation and talk about him and Tockett not getting along. And um, just recently, Talk stated that you know, like he was just like out of assignment on his on his spot in line. Like he just wasn't forechecking enough to throw his line mates off, or if he's forechecking too early and he's not where he needs to be, it's confusing his line mates. So there's been some some uh, rainstorms in Paradise Island in Vancouver's locker room there with between Socket and Kuzmenko. Um, so like if it doesn't, if they don't mesh, they don't mesh. Obviously it's kind of a letdown after the whole circus that it was with 
is he going to sign? Is he not going to sign? Is he coming to Vancouver? Is he not coming to Vancouver? Because I think some people now that Kuzi's performance has dropped off, they forgot this big hype that surrounded him even signing with the Canucks when he finally came over from Russia. Um, he He's just having a rough year, and I like Kuzmenko. I think he's a bright, shining personality. I mean, dude gets absolutely, like, clobbered in the jaw with a JT Miller slap shot, and he's still smiling the next day, chin all black and blue. Um, if he goes somewhere, I just want him to go somewhere where he's going to fit into the system and he's going to be successful because he really is the winger that should be doing it with Pedersen and just no you know, no doubts, no qualms. It should just be him, Petey, and Mikheyev just out there dominating, and Kuzi hasn't been firing on the right cylinders. So... I would like for him to stick around and get a fair shot at getting used to talk it, finding his chemistry, getting his rhythm back. Um, but he's been struggling. And if that takes a change of scenery, then, um, yeah, I guess good luck in Washington. Easy. <laughs> Speaking of somebody who's uh, been struggling, um, Timo Meyer, the game – that is being called the Hughes Bowl. I was calling it Hughes the Hughes Palooza. Um, <laughs> I had it playing in the background and, you know, watching it here and there. And the moment that kind of caught me off guard, I had to pause the game and rewind it to see who was that that just got schooled on the blue line. And then my jaw dropped because it was Timo Meyer. But then it was Quinn Hughes, so it's kind of like, well, you know, if you're going to get schooled, it might as well be someone like a Quinn Hughes. But he was pestering Hughes on the blue line. This was, I think, like minutes left in the third period. And Quinn was just dangling, eventually got away from Timo on the blue line, went down, you know, to the hash marks and set up a goal i don't recall who had scored it but just that whole sequence and then going back to seeing who it was and then i'm not saying that i'm that i'm glad that timo left and there's still a lot of room to assess this trade of i wasn't really sure what to make of it all i knew was that I didn't want us to keep Timo Meyer because he was easily going to be 10 million and we don't have 10 million <laughs> and I don't want us to get put into a spot where we've been over the last how many years where we've locked in players and now we're trying to build around them with what little we have. And, you know, like for instance, like the Oilers, they've been doing that for how many years? Like <laughs> I don't want to get us into any longer of that situation than we already are in. Obviously, Timo Meyer, we drafted him. He came up through the system. Things were great for a while when we were on a good run with getting into the playoffs. And, you know, so it is sad to see a homegrown player go. Right. And the return felt kind of anticlimactic because really weren't too sure about these players. I, I saw that there was a name being thrown around, um, Mercer. People were really hoping, well, if we're trading Timo, we better get someone like a Mercer. Well, Mercer's not doing too well right now either. So yeah. it, you know, like, and it's interesting to see someone like Timo Meyer, who was our leading goal scorer for many seasons and just a style of play where you he was constantly getting the go-ahead passes to generate the, the um, goal scoring opportunities, like all that stuff. And, you know, he's playing down on like the third line right now amongst a, a, a whole bunch of youthful talent and a completely different system. So it's interesting to see that he's struggling a bit. Yeah. So it's also Mercer, right? Yeah. 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 I, for some reason, Austin, you're struggling with his first name. That's yeah. I, who all, who all came back for the kiss? I remember, I 
feel like when I've seen the Timo trade, like even I was underwhelmed because I like mm-hmm. Timo Meyer as a player. I really do. I always enjoyed watching him in San Jose. Um, who all was the return for him? So the Devils acquired, along with Timo, and I'm probably going to butcher this guy's name, Timur Ibragimov, defenseman Scott Harrington, who we kind of brought in and, you know, like an additional defenseman. I was kind of okay to see him go. I think he ended up um, getting let go, and I think now he's on he's on the Ducks. So someone who's reliable but is movable. Um, right. Centari Hatika, another defenseman. Um, I don't recall offhand if we drafted him. I somewhere between drafting him or maybe like scouted him out in like European leagues. Another up and coming defenseman, but we kind of have this pipeline of like we're trying to replenish our. Um, prospects really in every avenue, but uh, given the shift of Doug Wilson out the door and Mike Greer coming in, this is kind of expected that he is trying to build this team like sort of in his image and the up and coming defensemen that we were told, you know, these are the guys that were really trying to develop and will eventually come into this team. It's not surprising to see them kind of like being put into these like trading packages because he didn't, he didn't draft him. He wasn't the one that like, you know, saw the vision that Doug Wilson and the team did. So, um, and then goaltender Zachary Iman, um, and then as well as a fifth round pick. So, you know, a, a, a bunch of, Players, well, ultimately, the major prize is Timo Meyer, And here are all these other guys that you can, like, consider, play around with in your system. But I think it's just those are also a matter of, like, contract moves and to kind of, like, even out, like, the the trade. And then the Sharks acquired the first-round pick for that current year's draft. So last year's Mm -hmm. draft, which was conditional. Um, and then defenseman, as I mentioned, Mukhamadulin, and then Nikita Ohoktuk, who is kind of like in our rotation of defensemen right now. Um, yeah, I've, heard, I've, kind, I've, of, I've kind of liked what I've seen from him so far. Obviously, there's going to be growing pains with him, you know, adjusting to, you know, our system and then also being a young defenseman. Um, fours, Andreas uh, Johnson, who I believe we let go, and then Fabian Zetterlin, who right now is, you know, making a lot of great things happen for the Sharks, as well as a second and seventh round selections for this upcoming year's draft. And so then, really, and then fifty percent retention of that previous season's uh, Myers uh, salary. So it's not it's not really something like is when you talk about like moving Meyer and some of those other pieces out, but you get all those other pieces back, like you said, because like the, the Canucks kind of went through the same thing of of when Benning finally decided would the organization finally decided to move on from Benning is how I should word that. Um, we've seen that happen. Like a lot of like desperation signings ended up becoming trade pieces, like. I think one of the most egregious things, I just want to go on record, was us paying Jake Vertanen $4.1 million, or $4.4, and letting Toffoli walk to the Habs for $4.1, just, to get Vert- just for Vertanen to be convicted of a crime and no longer be with the team. So that's kind of like where the Canucks, I think, shot themselves in the foot too, as far as rebuilding. So kind of like it ended up now with us sort of a few years out from that, really this is only like the second year Alvin's been, so we still are still trying to move pieces out from the last regime. Um, it's not as much because because Logan Couture, he's just hurt, right? Yeah, we still don't know what happened. <laughs> okay, so it's really just it's not as matter as like it's just like everybody's playing like like garbage. It's just that you have a bunch of new pieces. They kind of a key person gets moved out. Your one key piece isn't there. It's not healthy. So you're having, like, it's like, like an Island of Misfit toy situation. Like, everybody's got to come together and come together for the greater good quick, and they just can't. They got to they gotta get the kinks out. So I have, I have faith in Sam. I have faith in you guys. 
Oh yeah, I have faith in us. Um, I mean, we're going through a organizational change. We're still going through it. Just because it happened last year doesn't mean that we still don't have work to do. He's right. still trying to adjust the entire system of players involved to what he sees the the team moving forward. And, and that's going to take several seasons. It's not going to be overnight change. Like I understand people are, it's, it's not fun to watch a team suck, <laughs> but no, we no. have to go through the process. It's not, unfor- like, even if we, even if Eric Carlson didn't have the most amazing season that we wished we saw much sooner, like, no one predicted that the Sharks were going to be as bad as we were. And now they're expecting us to be absolutely terrible. And we do crap like this entire <laughs> week where I've kind of resolved myself to pockets of improvement throughout the game. Like it'd yeah. be great to see an entire strong game. And we have had some of those in, in the past couple of weeks, but when we get down to, you know, behind certain goals, I'm in a mindset now where I'm like, okay, well, let's just get one. Let's just kind of, you know, get back to the drawing board and, and prove on the, the parts that we messed up on. But to see them kind of from the Red Wings, like knocking us down to like four to one or whatever. And then we roll back with like four unanswered goals like there was nowhere in my mindset that day where I was going to think that was happening is it a welcome surprise (laughs) absolutely and to see this team do that like it's exciting I don't see us as oh yes it's our Stanley Cup year like whoa whoa hang on (laughs) like right right but it's it's great to kind of see these pieces that I notice if you just go through the um just if you're just looking at the summary of games, like the contributions, who is in the lineup, who is tallying up in, in, in the goal scoring, the assists and all that stuff. These are all Greer additions. And it's exciting to see, obviously there's other aspects that are, that were within the team and he's incorporating into the, um, into his vision for the future, but things like Ferraro getting talked about as possibly, you know, uh, he's being called by other GMs interested in him. Uh, I was asked the other day by a friend of mine, like, who is on your don't trade this season? And I said, to be honest, nobody. (laughs) Like I would, I would hate to see Ferraro leave, but I am a thousand percent buying into the Greer vision of what do you what do you see is the future of this team for the long haul? I don't want them to just be good for one season and then we're just awful. Like don't you know in the in the last previous years before we admitted that we have to go through this change, it was like throw everything at the wall and fuck the future kind of thing, right? you know? Right. So yep. that's kind of my mentality when I said nobody, because obviously there are folks I don't want to see leave, but if you move somebody, I'm trusting that this is for the longevity, a, a bigger picture than just for the, for one or two seasons. Yeah. I think some GMs like the way Benning did in Vancouver, I think some GMs, try to keep their job and a large portion of not just hockey, right? Like they try to keep their job. They make those desperation signings and desperation trades. And then that doesn't work out. Cause like one player isn't the, the piece to the puzzle In some circumstances, I guess you could kind of say that that works out that way, but like a large majority of the time, it's not just, I make a couple of desperation signings. The team goes on to win the playoffs and some miracle. I keep the job. Everybody wins. It's, you know, sunshine rainbows at the end of the day. So that sort of that process, like you said, it's just that process of going through the rebuild and then writing it out for things to come together. 
and when you get like the desperation the desperation signings that even though they're guys that you've come to love like in I think in some way I don't want to call Kuzi a desperation signing but it was I think one of those attempts to bring somebody in of like a big caliber that they thought could come in and like solve things immediately for the Canucks so it's like as much as I love him if he can't contribute here I think that we are a playoff team I don't know if we can if we can go all the way like I still doubt that fundamental ability in in the Canucks but if we can move Kuzi out for a system that he does better in and we could get somebody that comes in and maybe adds something that Pedersen is missing to that top line maybe you know maybe we can go a little bit deeper but it's a process of like like you said trusting the process and just kind of going through it and experiencing it as as shitty as it feels <laughs> for a large portion of the time and let me just say, if Ferraro gets traded, I've got his jersey hanging in my, my bedroom. It is going to suck. <laughs> I am going to be sad with whatever jersey he ends up wearing because I want him to be in Teal forever. But he is turning his season around after, I mean, when he came in, like he had the benefit of being paired up with Burns. And, mm. you know, if you're, skating along paired up with a Norris winner defenseman like now I need to see what you look like when you, when you're not you know and right, he struggled right. a bit when um I think even the season before we traded Burns he was kind of I think we shifted some lines around and and he was struggling and he struggled last season and he's made it his mission to you know, step up. He's one of our assistant captains and he's been doing a great job out there. So I can see why teams are interested. Um, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And it'd be a good thing for us as well. If, if Greer is able to, if he decides to move Ferraro, like what we could get back because um, there's teams that are obviously in need. Um, one that comes to mind, which, um, I know it makes it would be great for him family wise to go back to Toronto, but <laughs> I don't I don't want that for Ferraro. <laughs> I don't want, um, but there's teams out there that could really use a reliable defenseman out there. Um, yeah, and like a topic for an, another week. Like I would love to get into talk about goaltenders because. We've we've got a, we've the two for the for the sharks are starting to make some improvements, starting to make a name out for themselves, um, in terms of turning around their seasons. And there's teams out there that really need goaltender, and I'm I I kind of just enjoy <laughs> thinking about what we could get in return. But um, I, I hate to say it, but when teams go on little streaks like that, especially struggling early, if if it's, I mean, like wholesale, right? Like, I hate to say that, but if you were struggling and all of a sudden the cylinders start clicking, I know in the long term, moving guys out has an impact on chemistry, but sell high, sell high. You have a future to build for. You have, you have like future planning. If you can catch these guys on a tear and you can get a great return, especially if you kind of already know, like there's no postseason in it for us this year, like sell high, get what you can and start like really start putting that first foot forward now like don't wait and to close out if you haven't heard about this sport yet go and look <laughs> it up because tech ball i think i'm saying it correctly t-e-q-b-a-l-l -L. it is a combination of soccer and ping pong and it is insane <laughs> and as, i love as it we say, as we say in the, in the in the soccer world how about those techers there's some serious <laughs> Serious tech skills here. I was impressed. I was, um, I'm I'm pretty solid at soccer. Like, I, not to pump my own tires, but I am pretty damn good at soccer. But ping pong, I have no, no cordon. Watching that video was, it was intense. I think, I think I found my new favorite sport. To be honest, what a great workout. I'm right? just mesmerized. Right? <laughs> what talent. The fact I can't stop watching. <laughs> I must have watched it like three times over when I first seen the thing. I was like looking at it and I was like, wow. 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't because it's not just little like hacky sack nudges. Like it's like we're roundhouse kicking this ball straight across this ping pong table at my opponent's face. Like the precision involved, the skill, like using all. It seems like all aspects of soccer. You're using their head, their chest. This it's is the amazing. sport of, of it's got to be the sport of samurais or like kung fu. Guy. I don't know how to explain it. Like these, oh yeah, you martial arts potentially incorporated just with the with the amount of roundhouse kicking they're doing, and it's, it's amazing. Like, it's like Brazilian dance fighting, soccer, and ping pong. So go <laughs> check that out if you have no idea what we're talking about. Go look it up. It is it is amazing. You might um, still not have any ideas after you look it up, but you'll definitely be, you'll find a new favorite sport. For sure. All right. That's all we've got for you today. Thanks for listening. As always, I am your host, Jay. I'm Drew. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care. Catch you on the flip side.